Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Hello and welcome to my conversations. And Jen Loudon is back to have another conversation. And uh, she's an author. You guys know about her books, The Woman's Comfort Book, The Woman's Retreat Book, The Life Organizer. And her latest, Jen, help me. I don't have it sitting right in front the of me. The Year of Daily Joy. <laughs> and it is a beautiful book. So take yeah. a look at those and you can actually, you can put, the thing I like about that book is it's applied action, right? It's not just, oh, I'm going to read and consume information. It's what am I going to put back out there? So I love that. Mm -hmm. So Jen, thank you for being here today because today we're going to talk about how do you stay with your journey when it gets difficult? Because again, books, I mean, I used to do this. I used to go to the bookstore, find a book and be like, oh, this book is going to change my life or this program is going to change my life. I love the idea of it. But then the reality, life happens, there were difficult times, whatever, and it might get pushed aside. Or I may not be, you know, I talk about transactional relationships. I may not be getting with the results immediately that I want um, and may want to give up. And so I love this, how we're going to talk about this topic of staying with your journey, even when it's difficult, whatever the difficulty may be. What are your thoughts, Jen? Oh, I got about a million of them. (laughs) Let's try to organize them in a way that's useful. <laughs> um, the first thing that comes to my mind is the very precept or concept, actually, the correct word is concept of difficult. Right away, we start to separate and make ourselves um, pray perhaps to shame or blame or just a sense of that we're somehow different than the other 9 billion people on the planet. (laughs) And I love to do that. I love to have a story of being special. We live in a time with social media and so many of us as solopreneurs and creative beings where being special is kind of woven into our daily experience. In some ways, it's very important to feel special because otherwise we're not going to carve out that time to express ourselves, right? Or even to take care of ourselves. But then it can cross over into the separation of my difficultness and my struggle is somehow something I'm not supposed to be having. When in fact, I said to my daughter once, I said, you know, the day in which everything goes the way you hope (laughs) is the exception but we think it's supposed to be the rule. So just kind of softening that story is the first thing I tried to rem- remind myself. When, when my dad was dying of cancer um, one day, um, he lived for two years, which was really exceptional because he had pancreatic cancer and he was in his late 80s. And he took on some very heavy duty chemo that eventually did kill him. But he, I, I basically asked him, like, are you mad? Are you mad that this is happening? And he looked at me with such astonishment on his little face and said, why not me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so not like, oh, the suffering, I'm the suffering, I have to take on the suffering of the world, but like, why would I be the exception? So that's the first thing I try to do. Why not me? Yeah, why not me? Why not me struggling to sometimes love my bonus son who came into my life as this sweet little 11-year-old and I just was like, oh my God, I got to have a second kid because I, I couldn't biologically 
And in my current, in my first marriage, it just didn't happen for a variety of reasons. And and then as he became a teenager, I started to resent him and shut myself off from him. And and spent, you know, honestly, everybody, I spent, I wasted years in that place. Not all the time, but too much of the time. Why not me to struggle with loving someone who I didn't know from a biological baby that was mine or an adopted baby that was mine? You know, why not me? Why not engage with it with a sense of, yeah, here we are. You know, that is a great way to reframe that. You know, why not? Because usually the question is, why is this happening to me? Why me? Mm -hmm. Why me? But why not me? Because then we can look at a way to reframe it. Why not me? And it's, it. I think of like what Byron Katie will say, like accepting reality. You know, anytime Mm -hmm. you argue with reality, you are, you're creating your own struggle. You lose every single time. <laughs> you lose every single time. Yep. The other thing, I just was uh, at a meditation retreat and um, it was quite profound. And uh, as it fades away, I feel myself just, you know, just feeling so grateful and also sad. Like, okay, let's go to another meditation retreat as soon as we can. <laughs> but one of the things that the teacher said was, um, it's not personal. Now, I can't say it in the context and beauty that he did of this spacious awareness that we were inhabiting, but I can have a flavor of it. And the flavor is life is happening and life is unfolding. And what if life is in some way this impersonal, beautiful thing, this life arises through us and we give expression to it and we have experiences with it. And what if it's not personal? It's not, in other words, something I've done wrong or something that I need to um, run out and change, but something that I can experience. I don't know if that's helpful. It's pretty esoteric. I'm still wrapping my mind around how I understand it's not personal. Well, because when we go, why me? You know, especially mm-hmm. when we can like, you know, I like I like to talk about that transactional mindset. If mm-hmm. I practice gratitude, then nothing bad will happen. Right? <laughs> That's right. If I'm if I'm a very good person, I was talking to a friend who's gone through a horrible divorce and she was just weeping and weeping. And really, this is years into it. And the other night and she's like, I'm just so tired of trying to be so good. And I'm like, why don't you stop? <laughs> Right. There's this good is like, again, I think one of the reasons why it gets difficult is that we're trying to be somebody we're not. Yeah, well, we're, we're trying to follow rules that we've been told that if we follow them, we will be safe and then we will live in the promised land and then we won't no longer have difficult times. Yes. Exactly. That's a beautiful way to tie it together, Corinne. Fabulous. Yeah. If I do my green smoothies and if I chant and if I'm kind and if I do my gratitude journal, nothing bad will happen. And that's that's making it personal. And, it, it you know, to keep weaving these threads together, everybody, come along with us. We're going to get somewhere. <laughs> but it makes it, yeah, it, it makes it like we have some kind of control, whether it, if I'm having a relationship, not a what do you call it? A transaction. It's transactional relationship. Right. If I'm having a real relationship with life itself without blame or shame or making it personal, then what is difficult? It's a moment by moment experience. It's one moment it's pain in my chest. The next moment it's irritation at Aiden not cleaning up the coffee grounds. The next minute it's <laughs> looking at my, I just paid a giant tax bill. It's feeling into the in, the fear of that. The next moment it's seeing Bob in the kitchen and giving him a big hug and feeling, you know, it's just, it's always changing. It doesn't mm-hmm. become this fixed thing. 
Yeah. No, I, I laughed about the coffee grounds because when I got home this morning, my kitchen, I was like, oh, <laughs> my, my wonderful children, the difficult times we have with that kitchen. Um, <laughs> I know, the kitchen, the kitchen. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. There's a story in the Life Organizer book of this is many years ago. And uh, I came into the kitchen from maybe I'd been out for a walk or been to yoga or out here in the studio meditating. I don't know. And I came in and it was a total disaster. And Chris, my husband at the time and, and Lily, who was little, were gone. And I started this whole complicated story of what crappy, shitty people they were for leaving this mess. And when I could detach from that for a moment, this not personal, not story thing we're touching on here and just be like, oh, look, there's dishes in the sink. There's sticky, um, stuff that you pour on the pancakes, syrup mm -hmm. um, on the counter. And that's what is. Now, I can leave it and walk away. I can happily, gratefully clean it up. But it's not about a personal thing that they're doing to me. It's just that the, the kitchen has stuff in it. Well, and that's that separation, right? What we make it mean and the stories yeah. that we, we, the energy that we bring upon it. And, um, and we, we can make it more difficult instead of, okay, there's syrup on the counter. What do I want to mm -hmm. do about it? What are the choices? I can walk away and let it be there. I can make them clean it up when they come back. I can clean it now because I want that space. They're all choices. Yes. Instead of knowing that it's wrong and bad that they left the dishes before they went out to play, they even left the syrup out. <laughs> I could say, where is it a law that you're supposed to clean up the kitchen? Is it like gravity? Um, you know, or is it just a fact that the kitchen has stuff in it? Yeah. Well, Jen, I would say in my house, it is a law. <laughs> it is my law. <laughs> but that law loves to be broken. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, it's, and, and yeah, so it's just anyway, I know that it's a little bit hard to wrap our minds around, but just to not to not to make ourselves wrong or be so snared by the story of difficult that it concretizes around us. You know, remember in the old gangster days, they'd say, I'm going to give you concrete boots and throw you in the river. You know, we do it to ourselves. Mm -hmm. We put concrete boots on our hearts, on our bodies, on our spirits, instead of this dynamic relationship we're pointing to. And, and if you're listening and you're like, okay, wait, I want five points to do this. You know, I don't think that's it either. I think that's another way that we get into away from ourselves instead of this sort of dynamic self-trust uh, of, well, what, what feels right for me right now to be in relationship with this moment that might feel difficult. I mean, even difficult, it's a story, right? Mm -hmm. No, so it is. Well, and, and like, as you were mentioning, right, it can be the kitchen and then it can be your husband. I mean, there's, there's so many different things it's, that are happening in a period of five minutes of our minds. Right. <laughs> in five minutes of my mind, man, you could get really lost. So, <laughs> so that, 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 that's, that's, I guess, the cultural marketing play of, oh, the five steps, right? Yes. Do these five steps. Because, you know, like I always liken it to um, in my house, the ingredient that we love so much is garlic. One of my clients, the ingredient that she loves is rosemary right? It doesn't mean that our dishes are going to be worse or better. It's just what are the ingredients and how much do you use? Mm -hmm. And there's going to be different, like I had, I used a uh, cumin this week, which is not something I use a whole lot, but I used it this week. And it was interesting because it was a flavor that was coming up. It's not our, you know, we are huge garlic in our house. Um, but I think of these, like those steps can be, they can be tools. They can be like, when we talk about story or gratitude, they can be tools, but it doesn't have to make 
it's not the be all and end all to complete the dish. Yeah, so beautifully said. I think we can look at these tools as pointing out instructions. That's what we use a lot in um, in in meditation instruction, right? It's like the meditation instruction isn't a should or a form that we we adhere to. It's pointing to something that is beyond words. And one of my favorite pointing out instructions in difficult times is the growth mindset that we often talk about here. And I talk about in all my work and um, it's pioneered by Carol Dweck at Stanford, originally at Columbia. And there's a book called Mindset, totally worth reading. You don't have to read the whole thing. You can read the first couple chapters and then uh, cherry pick other ones. There's a chapter for teachers. There's a chapter for parents, if those things apply to you. But the bo- bottom line is very basic, which is that we are are really raised, at least in American culture, to be in a fixed mindset. And a fixed mindset really, really is not useful when we feel we're having a difficult time. And the fixed mindset is, I have limited talents and abilities, and they are fixed. They don't grow. They don't change. And uh, my job is to either keep you from knowing what those fixed talents are by pretending to be something other than I am all the way live all the time living in fear or my job is to um you know, keep doing the same thing over and over again with what I've got or to freak out and contract when presented with something I'm not sure how to do or don't feel up to instead of taking it on to stay paralyzed. And the growth mindset says, oh, cool, something I don't know how to do. Oh, great. Something I failed at. What do I need to learn? (laughs) Who's going to help me? How am I going to do it? Oh, my God. I mean, she has this experiment that she talks about in the book about these kids that she gives difficult puzzles to. And the ones with a natural growth mindset that sort of haven't been taught out of them yet by the education system, that's my aside, is um, they're like, they, the, the more difficult the puzzles get, the more excited they get. Mm-hmm. They're like, wow, cool. And they look at each other and they're just like so excited. And then the, the kids who have the fixed mindset already, they they give up. They uh, Their performance actually declines because they think that they can't do it. Basically, they think they can't do it. And the proof is because they don't know how to automatically do it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's so enforced. I bet we can all think back to a time when the fixed mindset showed up for many of us at seventh grade, eighth grade, or sometime in high school, or maybe freshman year of college. We hit a challenge. We can't do it. And we've been rewarded before for being able to do everything. And and everyone's saying, look how easy that is for you. Oh my God, you're so good at that. We're not rewarded for, look how hard you worked. You still didn't do it, but look how hard you worked. (laughs) Yeah. You know, right. I remember, I remember seventh grade, I had been like the, the smart kid and suddenly I wasn't. And that's it. I believed it. I believed it until a few years ago, Corinne, mm-hmm. that I was dumb. <laughs> I can still feel it. I can still feel it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I want to say also the fixed mindset doesn't go away. It'll come in when we're tired. It comes in when we're taking on new challenges and new domains that we're totally unfamiliar with. So it's not that we get rid of it. It's that we keep bringing awareness to it or attention to it. Yeah, it's so Carol's been on the show a couple of oh, times. Oh, I know, I know. You always remind me of that and I always forget and it's so cool. And and I'll put the links to those interviews for those of you that do want to listen because her, I mean, I remember 
she still comes up. I mean, her research really happened at the turn of the century and it came out and was very ground, you know, groundbreaking. And it's, it's in so many of the interviews that I talk to across the board, whether it's Dan Pink, you know, I've had financial people come on and this mindset piece is huge. And like you talking about with school, I was one of those gifted kids, right? I had that label. I was in the gate program in California. And I remember feeling, and I grew up very fixed mindset. I was told I had to do things perfectly. And that, and, and so whether it was the education or my mom and, and to my mom's defense, I mean, she's Korean and that's the culture that she grew up with. There wasn't the opportunity to make mistakes. So I'm not blaming her. It was just part of her way of how she knew how to do well in the world. But I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm this fraud. And if I do poorly on this test, everybody's going to really know that I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. And that can be another form of fixed mindset. And I remember asking Carol, I was like, okay, Carol, you know, like, how do you, how do you get out of this? And she's like, well, nobody is ever all growth or all fixed. And she also says, you change your thoughts. <laughs> I'm like, oh, so in some ways it can be really simple, but to get to simple is, can be hard. And it, it's moving through those difficult times like we were talking about. And, um, but one of the things that she says on, in mindset, I think it's like on page six, is the thoughts that you think can create the results in your life. Yeah. And that sounds totally woo-woo, but here's this Ivy League professor who's now at Stanford, who's done a ton of research on this, has a lot of evidence, and um, and it, and it's it's phenomenal. And then they've carried this research, like a lot of other scientists and researchers have carried it out in other sectors, um, looking at child development, looking just at people. But you know, it's it's really incredible. So I always go to, my question is, when I'm going through difficult times is instead of, I have that, I think, immediate, especially if I'm really tired, like you mentioned, I mm-hmm. can go into, oh, see, of course this is happening to me. Like I can make it mean that I'm a bad person or I didn't do it right. But instead, when I can turn it around and go, okay, what can I learn from this? Or just even acknowledging, this is difficult. This sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I will move through this. I may not like it, but I will move through this. And I know in the end, there'll be something I will learn from this and there'll be maybe some resilience that'll come from this or, and it's hard. And there are times that I don't want these difficult things to happen. And I think that's where I really develop my strength is when I stick with it instead of just quitting and giving Uh, up. Yeah. And we have to have practices. I love that. I love everything you just said. And we have to have practices that help us with our stick to itness. And the ground of those practices needs to be what I would call an embodied growth mindset. So it's not about our just our mind, which is super important in our self-talk, mm-hmm. but it's also about using our full sensory awareness to feel into the safety and goodness and support of each moment. Otherwise, what ha- I mean, uh, on a, vari- a variety of things happen. One is that the the sort of the reptile brain, the oldest part of our brain, is is hijacking us often without us being aware, which makes it really hard neurobiologically to move out of the growth uh, fixed mindset into the growth mindset, right? Because it almost feels like, oh, wait, I can't do it. I can't do it. But if we can calm the body down, if we can kind of feel the embodied sense of safety and what I experience in meditation is spaciousness, endless spaciousness, and that beautiful place that's pointed to in Rumi's stanza, and uh, I'll meet you in the field beyond right doing and wrongdoing. So if I can go there, even for just a few breaths, then I what we know happens in the brain is, is sort of higher functions can come online and, and cortisol and other hormones 
can calm down. And the information that's coming from the neurons in our heart kind of smooths out to help our cranium brain function better, kind of gets the noise in the system down. And then I can work with, how am I talking to myself? Mm -hmm. Is this, is this, helpful and 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 take these frames that we're talking about here yay there's a challenge wow so cool <laughs> i'm so excited about this challenge or boy this is really hard of course it's hard writing like i'm writing you know a project right now well, of course it's hard writing's hard for everybody i don't have to get all personal about it i don't have to get all you know my panties in a bundle as we say <laughs> Well, and okay, so now here we go. I'm going to step in because people say, well, this is Jen Loudon, right? I mean, you've sat on Oprah's couch, look how successful you are. But and I think the most important thing for all of us is that, and it's something you said earlier, Jen, is we all have difficult times. I mean, that's the common humanity piece. And we're all going to have struggles and, and it's not just, Oh, well, we'd we be, you know, Jen, like I used to, I think, and the reason I'm explaining this is that I used to, I would hear an interview or read something like from a person like you and go, Oh, well, of course she can like have those Pollyannish glasses because look how wonderful her life mm -hmm. is, but mm -hmm. look how hard my life is. Right. And the, and what I know from doing this work and work with myself or with clients is that it, it's possible to get there. We're going to have different ways. And so when you talk about not just our mind, what I immediately went to for me, it's about, my heart, which I guard and I'm so protective of, mm. you know, but when I can really like, I my, my phone case, it's like one of Kelly Ray Roberts artwork. I love her. She's been on the show, but um, it says finding my way with an open heart. That's on my phone case, right? It's a reminder for me because when I can allow myself to feel and I can love that can help me shift into where I can go open my mindset to, okay, the possibilities or what can I learn from this? Yeah, absolutely. So again, I would say that's the embodiment of love, the embodiment of opening the heart. And so often what I find with the people that I work with is we get we get caught up in trying to think our way into safety, into an open heart, into vulnerability. And I like people to use the body to get there. It doesn't work for everybody, but I get a lot of positive feedback about it. So an example would be you know, putting your hand on your heart when it's feeling closed or you're feeling attacked or you're feeling, you know, to me, it's a body sense that tells me my heart is closing, right? My eyes get squinty, my butt gets tight, um, my jaw gets tight, uh, my breathing gets shallow. It's this feeling of kind of squeezing and I want to just, I want to, and so I can put my hand on my heart. It's not about forcing anything or judging myself in any way, but I can just breathe in and out of my heart. And then maybe if it's available to me, I can think of a time that I felt a lot of love for someone else, for myself, for my dogs. You know, sometimes we need an animal, just, you know, it's, they're so unconditional, right? And I can just breathe in and out of that memory and let it become real to me, the feeling tone of it, not the details of the memory, but the feeling tone. And, you know, research shows that it, it seems like 30 seconds of doing that really helps us change our body chemistry and our awareness in a way that opens us to be more um, calm and resilient and, and maybe able to take different actions in that moment. Have you always been that connected with your body? 
Oh, I'm connected and disconnected, man. It is amazing. It is like when I'm on retreat, you would think I was like yogi dancer connected baby all the time. Like I'm just whether I'm on retreat leading it or having it like I am just like I sink right into it when I'm teaching. I teach a, 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 a I don't teach, but I, I convene a space Friday mornings on lines called the Oasis. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm so right there with dropped in. But it's then I can forget and check out and I become a giant head. <laughs> so it's both. It's both. And it's I used to judge myself for that. Like, are you lying? This isn't who you really are. Um, and it's like, oh, no, this is something you know, but you forget. And that's the human condition. I knew so much of this at a very early age. And, and I've spent most of my life forgetting and remembering. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I, I imagine I will continue to do so, but who knows? Maybe I won't. I don't know. <laughs> You know, it's interesting because I was so disconnected from my body and that's where a lot of the emotional eating came in um, for me in my life. But, you know, being an athlete, one, you, there, you want to kind of disconnect to put yourself through some of those uh, painful things. Yeah, and then, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. And then growing up in the in the family environment that I did, it, it was another way to, you know, to disconnect from the pain because I was on this quest of I really bought into be a really good girl, work really, really hard, you know, do all the right stuff, never make mistakes, and then you're going to be safe. Mm-hmm. So part of like connecting with my body, I would have to listen to, oh, I'm sad, or I'm mm-hmm. tired, or I'm afraid right now, and not in realizing that it's okay to feel those things. Just because I feel them doesn't mean I'll stay there. I can feel it and then move through, right? Yeah. So I learned how to disconnect. And as an adult woman, that's one of the things that I'm learning how to do is connect and also to use my body as you were talking earlier about sensing and, and, and I know like when my open my heart up, I can, I mean, it allows me to connect with people or it allows me to show up and, and then it allows me to be in, I call it the wizard brain instead of the lizard, right? I try to, I can use so many more things and senses and even use my body and to help guide me for things. Yeah. Um, but it's taken time for me to get there. Absolutely. And it's, again, I want to just, you know, point out that then when life conditions get intense through loss or a lot going on, then we'll go back to what's familiar to us, whatever that is. So that might be shutting down. It might be for some of us, we're, we, it's actually going the other way. We take everything in. And we actually need to learn to kind of go, okay, actually, that's not necessary for me to take that in right now <laughs> or ever. You know, we we're, we can put our energy out into other people's spaces. My therapist used to stay, used to say to me, stay in your own hula hoop. And she meant, you know, stay out of Bob's business, stay out of Lily's business, but also stay out of their energy. And I had someone once years ago, I was a lot younger, who was very energetically sensitive. And she said, oh, my God, you're like way over here. Like your energy is like way out in the room. That is not polite. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh, okay, I feel ashamed. But now I will like it took me a while to digest that. Like I can just I can because I have big energy that I don't have to. That doesn't mean I have to like push it out there. I can just let it, res- I can let it ebb and flow. I don't have to try. I don't have to do anything for anybody else with that energy. Anyway, I digress a little bit. Well, no, this is a good point. So Jill Bolte Taylor had, has been on the show and we talked about the idea of being responsible for the energy you put out there. And Carla McLehern, who wrote, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the book, but she, about empathy, um, 
and feelings. You know, she talks about people who really can feel people's energy. So understanding both sides of it, right? And are you somebody that you can really absorb other people's energy and whose? Like I know I can be really affected by certain people's energy. And then some people I'm really good at blocking off. And so mm-hmm. the more I can go here, here's what I think we're saying, Jen, is it's about, it's about going in and checking in with where you are. Where is your heart space? How does your body feel? What's going on with your mind? You know, what are, what are the stories that you're saying about difficult or the, the laws of the kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. And, and seeing like really what is true right now? What is important? Does this really like for the kitchen? I could be mad about it, but that's not where I want to spend my energy before I get on the show with you, right? So it was, okay, there's the kitchen. This is what it is. And then I was so excited because I went to my bedroom and my bed was made. My husband did. I was like, yay. (laughs) Yeah, right. Immediately, you know, we were like, okay, I like that. I don't like that. I like the bed being made. I don't like the kitchen being made. And, And that's what we're also saying about the difficult situations. We're rejecting what is. Because it doesn't meet with our approval or our story or our past experience. I've been playing with imagining I have a giant eraser and moment by moment, I'm erasing what I think should be happening. So a specific example is you're in yoga, you know, you do two poses, you do the same pose on both sides often, not always, but you know, often so you might do triangle on the lower left and then you do triangle on the right. And you'll take into that triangle pose. Oh, this is the way I do triangle this is the way a triangle should be done, or this is the way I did on the left side. So now I should be able to do it on this side. But moment by moment is how we are in relationship with life. So if I can erase that triangle pose, the whole history of triangle in my body and just come into it right now, fresh and explore it in my whole body. And we can do that in every moment. You know, I'm not suggesting that I'm actually there, but <laughs> I can do it in this call with you instead of thinking, okay, I, I, here's the radio and this is how we have to do it. And this is how we've done it in the past. And, you know, I can just come in like, what, what's here now that feels mm-hmm. fresh and useful and how can I connect with you and your listeners? Mm-hmm. And the same thing with the kitchen, right? <laughs> the same thing with in all of our, our story about, oh, this is difficult. This is so familiar. Oh, I'm screwing up again. Oh, erase, erase, erase. What's actually am I experiencing right here, right now? Let me, let my, let me make my body safe and calm my nervous system down. And then let me notice what's actually happening. It, it's just coming back to that present moment, isn't it? I mean, that's checking in back with ourselves. Yeah, but it's coming into an actual relationship and a lived experience of the present moment and not thinking about the present moment. And that took me a lifetime to understand. I thought being present was going, I'm present, I'm present, I'm being present, I'm being present. <laughs> Here I am being present. And it's like a construct, right? It's like a construct, like difficult is a construct instead of going, oh, present moment. What I'm again, I, I think we feel into it through the body and the senses of the body. So I can feel present moment, I can feel this pain, the top of my left shoulder blade. Present moment, I can see your face when I met you a few weeks ago and your beauty. Present moment, I can feel people listening or imagine I can. I can hear the rain. I can feel the desire to see my daughter tomorrow morning after weeks of not being with her. There's so much here to be savored and experienced, but none of it's my idea of it. 
so he, I, I think in pictures. And so as you're talking about this, how I'm wrapping my brain around what you're saying is instead of being up above looking in of being present <laughs> and following the rules, you are, you are down, you are in it. You are in the experience of it. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. That's what it feels like. It feels like you're in it with your body and your breath and your awareness and not in your, your picture, your picture of it, right. Mm -hmm. Your picture of how it should be. So that doesn't mean that there's not going to be a lot of intense feelings going back to, you know, staying with what's difficult. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be this, this very loud voice in your head that says quit now, (laughs) or this, you know, one of my favorite ones, this isn't meant to be, or it wouldn't be hard. (laughs) Mine is, this must be a sign, so maybe I should quit this. Yeah, yeah. And then the the question arises, well, how do we know when to quit? And I think we know because we're in relationship with that moment by moment. And we're like, wow, this is this is not feeling good. This is not feeling true. This is feeling like a struggle or an idea of what I should be doing. What really feels good? And again, it's very it takes a tremendous amount of trust. It doesn't mean it's all going to work out the way you want. I noticed with my, I'm writing maybe a book. I don't know what I'm writing, but anyway, (laughs) I had word count goals um, and I was escalating them each day a little bit so I could get up to a thousand words a day again. And um, uh, I escalated a couple days and then yesterday it just wasn't coming and it wasn't resistance. The book really wanted me to pick up, uh, pick up some books off the shelf and look at them and organize some note cards and just kind of, I kept going to, from the desk to the couch and laying there and, Nothing really got done, but it felt right. It felt good. Do I know that it was good empirically? No, I don't. I don't, but I'm just going to trust it. Well, okay. So that goes back to remember transactional relationships. Mm. So this came back, this came from years ago. I was talking to Peter Walsh on my show and he, he, he's from Australia. Oh, I know Peter. He interviewed me the first time he did his first radio show for Sirius. I was his first interview. Oh, on the Oprah and Friends show. Yep. Yep. So he's great. He's been on the show a bunch. And one, he's, yeah, he's so much fun. And so he had talked about the Starbuckization of America. You know, we'd like that certainty. We'd like to know, okay, if I go into a new town, there's a Starbucks, there's going to be coffee. And, and then watching how I evolve and people, this transactional mindset, it's the same idea. You walk into Starbucks, you order your coffee and you expect, you know, you kind of know how much it's going to cost you and you have an expectation of how it will taste. And, and we do this with, with all the stuff of like, okay, well, I've been really good. And so therefore I should have this transaction or I've done X. So therefore this should happen. And, and it's about letting that go and letting go of that outcome and just being like you said, okay, well, I, I don't have any measurables about what I did yesterday with writing, but it felt right, right? It was back into your body, into your sense of being, which mm. is, is more abstract and it's harder for us to wrap around. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. And we, I think we need to balance it. I, I have a concept built out of a body of work that I studied that I adapted. The body of work is called conditions of satisfactions used in business so that you, you make a, you make a request of someone in such a way that they know whether they've satisfied it or not. And then I, I've embodied it and changed it over the years to be conditions of enoughness so that you can declare for yourself what is enough in, in a given project or moment. And 
there's a way to get very specific with it. So for example, word count or how long you'll spend with your writing or during this hour, I, when I'm with my writing, I will not check email or go on social media. You know, you make clear contracts with yourself and you, and you declare that that contract is enough, that that, that container of time or that amount of words, or I have one for my time with my daughter tomorrow. I tend to get into what I call the, the trying too hard mode with her. I think it's a leftover from the divorce and, also from she, her, she was a real prickly kid as a young child. And so I get into this kind of like shuck and jive mode. Like, let me make you happy. Let me, you know, let me, let me put on a show. Let me be the clown. And it's really inauthentic and exhausting. And so I, I'm working on that. I'm working on not jumping when she texts and, and it's not like trying to control myself. It's trying to be in relationship more authentically. So my, my condition of enoughness tomorrow is if I notice that arising, I'll just stop and relax my body and just relax into that spaciousness that is always around us. And that's not super specific, but I know what it means. But then from that place, we can also go to the more specific of 650 words every day, right? And I will do it if I have to get out of bed at night and because I forgot. Mm-hmm. So we can hold both. Mm-hmm. I, and that's a really important um point because I can be very practical and grounded. So I, mm-hmm. I like, I call those boundaries, right? What are the boundaries? And then having an agile mind within those boundaries. So, so that would be, you know, having that space for your daughter and then with the writing, like, okay, but the, one of the boundaries is like saying, okay, here is going to be the word count. I, I, you know, it's, so it's using multi, again, it goes back to, it's like you're using multiple tools. There's not one right way or multiple ingredients. You can actually have probably, I don't know if this is right because I don't cook really, but probably have <laughs> gar- <laughs> garlic and rosemary together, you know, it doesn't have to be separate. And so that's, I think what we're talking about is how do you integrate the things that work for you? Yes. And, and then keep, and how do you keep it simple? How do you keep it simple and how do you keep lowering the bar? This is another thing I teach in conditions of enoughness, which is, gosh, we're so good at making our lives more difficult by always raising the bar on ourselves. So if 650 words is enough, well, maybe I should have (laughs) written 850. Or if exercising three times a week by going for a nice, you know, fast walk with my neighbor up the hills is an as it, uh, maybe I should really be going to the gym and yoga class and I should be exercising. You know, we just keep raising the bar. And this really is what I think enforces the sense of difficult because we never find a place to rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that makes me think about, you know, if like my sense of worthiness was about overcoming difficult, right? So as soon as I, I it, it was part of it was I like to live in the difficult neighborhood. I hate it but I like to live in it if my sense of worthiness is tied to it because it's mm. like, oh, see, look at me. Or the, whether it's overcoming or the other side is the truth is, is that there was a time in my life where I really like to live in the victimhood of difficult. Woe is me. Come mm-hmm. sit with me, you know, around my campfire. I've pitched a tent. I'm going to live in the swamp. Land. <laughs> yeah, 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 me too. And, look how hard I'm working. Yeah. So my life is so hard. My life is so difficult. Woe is me thinking that that was being authentic. But really, I was having a pity party around the campfire and burning through people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so and, and so when you have this, you know, raising the bar is another way. It's like, oh, okay, well, I overcame that and I, I got to that. So I need to have difficult in my life. So let me raise the bar some more so I have more difficult because that's, that's, 
that becomes the the level that we understand. That's the neighborhood that we're used to living in. Yeah, beautifully said. I, I'm doing some new interviews for a program I, I lead once a year that's coming up called Teach Now for all kinds of teachers who want to teach. And I did a new interview with a longtime uh, writing teacher. Her name is Nancy Aroni, uh, Arani, and she's on NPR a lot. And she does these writing four-day things in her house on the Cape. She's been doing it forever. She's probably in her 70s. And she's so adorable. And she says to me, I'm like, so how do you balance your life and your creativity and your writing? She's like, oh, I got it so easy. She goes, I write these short things for NPR. They pretty much come out whole. And then I got this fabulous husband and I love this. You know, she just was all about this ease and so like embracing of it. And it was just this wave of, oh my gosh, that's a nice story. I mean, if we're always living in a narrative, which we are, because that's the way our brains work. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, I can see my skeptic already was like, really? It can be easy? Shouldn't it be hard? <laughs> it was really, really so sweet. She was like, she didn't have to like pretend her life was difficult for the interview. <laughs> or like, it's such a struggle. She's like, I've got it so great. And, you know, obviously very grateful and, you know, not like, you know, shut down about it or don't come take any of my greatness away. But, you know, that brings a good point. Like Brene had said once of, you know, how would how would it be to show up at your kid's PTO meeting and say, oh, well, I really rested really well. My house is organized. My kids are well behaved. My relationship with my husband, we have our date nights. You know, everything is just so wonderful and splendid. She said, you know, the moms in there would want to shoot you. <laughs> so sometimes no, I think. Oh, my gosh, that's such a great point. So, so, you know, not knowing where this conversation was going, that like sometimes we can hold on to the difficult neighborhood because we don't want people to judge us because our life is easy or that aspect can be easy. I so know what you mean. I so know what you mean. Some, um, when I launched my new website um, in the beginning of the year, Bob came to me and he said, honey, there's too many happy pictures of you and I together. And that's going to make people feel bad and people who are lonely and want a partner. And I'm like, no, honey, (laughs) that's not my business. I'm not putting those pictures out there because look at me. I have this great marriage. I'm just sharing some of who I am and that's okay. It's okay to be happy. It's okay for people to see I'm happy. Yeah. And I shared on, on Facebook a few uh, days ago from the time that we're doing this interview, not to when y'all are listening to it, that I'd made the most money. I'd, I don't know, maybe ever, definitely for a long time last year. And so I had to pay a big tax bill. Um, and instead of freaking out, I mean, I did freak out a little bit. I want to be really honest. There was a, it was a both and experience. So there was some tension in my stomach when I wrote the check or rather when we transferred the funds. And there was also some, oh, my gosh, look at this. And then I had right after that, a bunch of big bills for my team, bigger than usual because of tax prep and doing the website. And I wrote those. And again, usually those two things on top of them, I would have been, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I have to like, I have to invent something. I have to work harder. I have to do something to make more money. This is, this is, that was a, that was a fluke. And now I'm, I'm being punished for it. And instead I was like, oh, well, you know what I'm going to do? I've never done this before. I'm going to bless the checks that I'm sending to my staff. And I did. I said out loud how many things I loved about them and all my gratitude. And it was so, I mean, it was just like, 
it wasn't an effort. It was just a natural arising of let's, it's okay. We can have both. We can have the kind of the fear and maybe we won't be able to do it again. And maybe it's not okay. And that can just be here and be seen without having to be gripped. Mm-hmm. And so can my gratitude. It can be seen without it having to be a big deal. You know, thank you for your realness and authenticity, because I think that's going to help a lot of listeners out there when they hear this, because here, and that's the thing is that people may see, oh, well, look at Jen. She's, you know, done really well, made all this money. And in that good thing, there was some difficult stuff. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I got really identified like, oh, in fact, I, I, that happened in the fall of last year. I'm like, oh my God, I'm making so much money. Let's make money. Let's make money. And I went, whoa, Jen, that's not your value. <laughs> I mean, I need to make a certain amount of money to pay the mortgage and help my daughter with her life and college and, you know, and, and then it's cool. It's cool. And so I actually did a three pay for a course that I ran. You could pay, I think it was $2.99, $3.99 or $4.99. You could choose. I didn't care because I felt like I've got enough this year. Let's, let's you know, let's share the love. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was like living that edge. And I should say, so for me, a lot of money, I made three about grossed about $325,000 last year. Um, I have a huge amount of overhead because I do live events. So I'm definitely not keeping half of that even. Um, But I'm still really proud of myself for doing that. It's probably 50 or $60,000 more than I did the year before, maybe more than that, if I ever learned to read a P&L statement. so confusing to me. Like, why is that there? And why does that, oh, I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, just to make it real in case anybody thinks I'm making millions or anything, which would be fine too. It would be a whole new level. And gosh, it would be fun to give a lot of money away. I also made myself give away more money last year than I ever have. That was fun. And scary. It is. Yeah, no, it is scary. And then the difficult part is, you know, like the the stories that we have about money and the stories that we have about us are like you even said, oh, well, maybe that was a fluke. I mean, right, that can, mm-hmm. that creates difficulties right there if that having that belief. Yeah, I had that come up yesterday um, out of the blue, right? And then there's that moment where we then attach to the thought and say, okay, right, fixed mindset. Oh, yeah, that was the limit of my talents last year. I can't <laughs> learn anything. I can't innovate or... Here we go back to difficulty. I have to work harder to do it. Um, I have to make more or yes, that was a fluke. But if I really, really work hard this year, I can do it again. You know, it's all just this story that we can, we can just, just so let have attention. I, I love this phrase, the healing gift of attention. Just attention to that moment when I was getting wound up about money, I don't know, yesterday or day before yesterday, and just like not taking action, not making a plan, just going, oh, look, there's a thought that I can't do that again, or even that I have to do it again, right? <laughs> like, okay. And we're we're planning on moving to Colorado later this year, and Colorado, where we'll be living, is more expensive than where we live here. And so I can start getting caught up in that, Right. Instead of, oh, well, right, you know, right here, right now, what needs to be done? Mm-hmm. I get to talk to Corinne. <laughs> <laughs> I know that lizard brain could take off. I was a few weeks ago not feeling very safe, right? Not safe. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I was talking to a friend on the phone and I said, as I sit in my house in Davis, California and sunshine is coming, I'm warm and totally comfortable and there's no threats other than my mind. <laughs> Yes, exactly. And, and, and what we, what our, what our smart brains are, are the higher functions of our brains 
want to do is say, you don't need to do that. That's silly. But you've got to know this, everybody. That part of your brain that gets, am I safe, will always be there. And it must be directly encountered by checking out your environment. You can't tell that part of your brain to shut up. You have to show it with your senses that it's safe and that will never go away. Because if you don't have that part of your brain that's freaking out, even in a subtle way, you would be dead because that's the part of your brain that breathes and beats your heart and keeps you from walking in front of the bus. (laughs) So that part of your brain it needs a lot of reassurance and it may not make sense to you. Like you get it. Let's say you're, you get a criticism from a boss or your partner is, gives you the cold shoulder when you want to have sex and you get into the state of hyper arousal and freaking out and anxiety. And you think, Oh, you don't connect the two, right? That that's this reptile part of your brain, this oldest part of your brain down in the brainstem is freaking out because it thinks it's not physically safe. It's prey. We are prey and we are prayers. So we have to keep just, it's just a lovely animal remembrance. We are animals. (laughs) (laughs) Some of us aren't comfortable with that, right? It's like, we're not comfortable with, you know, dying and being born and taking poops and all that. (laughs) Well, Jen, thank you so much for having this conversation. (laughs) Let's leave it on that note, taking a poop. (laughs) It's, I just want people, you know, I think this has been real, right? Like the fact that people can hear us who we've done, we're two women who've done a lot of work and then we lead other people. And it doesn't mean that we live in this promised land of perfection and we've got it. We're doing the work. We're showing up in our lives and in moments, you know, we can get stuck too. And how do you move through them? And I think that's the important thing for the listeners is that there's going to be difficult times. And I understand it's a context and a story, but there's going to be things that are going to be difficult. And, and I think, you know, I know definitely for years I used to use food to, to numb myself from those difficulties. Um, but it's about how can you move through that and to the other side. And as we've shared these different stories throughout this time together today, is there many different ways? There's not just the five steps. Mm, no. And there's, and they're going to evolve as you develop and change. They're going to be uh, different tools and responses for different stressors in your life. When you're really well rested and you've got time for self-care, you're going to be much more resilient. And then when your parent is dying or your child is sick or you're on deadline, all three at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so much mercy for all of us human animals, so much mercy and so much curiosity. And just, you know, when you go out there today or you're out there right now listening to this, just looking around, everybody you see is fighting that same great battle, Mm -hmm. same great battle to be awake, to be alive, to be kind, to, to, to make a contribution. And so feel yourself as part of that immense weave of humanity. Beautifully said. Thank you, Jed. No, thank you, Corinne. Always a pleasure. How real was that conversation with Jen? I just loved it. And I want to wrap up with talking about how do you stay in your journey when it gets difficult? We talked a lot about sticking with something when it's difficult. How do you move through it and come out the other side? 
but really sticking with your journeys and staying with them. And so like, for instance, one of the areas that I think about is in the work I do with clients with it comes to weight loss. They can get in such this transactional mindset of, because they've been so programmed about calories and calories out, that if there's not a shift, you know, or maybe the, the weight has gone up a little bit, maybe a pound or two because of who knows, water and how they can want to jump ship and instead of what can they move through, how can they move through this difficult time? And and I see this, so whether it's in weight loss coaching or coaching um, young, young kids in swimming or with parents is like, how do you stay with your journey when things get difficult? And instead of, you know, like I had said earlier about it being, oh, this must be a sign that this doesn't work or this is evidence that this, you know, eating this food isn't going to get me the results that I want letting go of that transactional relationship we have. And that's about letting go of the need for certainty. And I can tell you this, I have thought that I've, and I've done a lot of work. I used to say, refer to myself as the former queen of certainty and have gone through another level layer of the onion, another layer of my soul. And certainty is that thing that I still want to have, even though I've done a lot of work and there's some areas that I'm really fine with. There's other areas, there's other parts in my life. So I understand that, like just wanting to know how is it going to turn out? But it's about letting go of that and, and saying, okay, how is this feeling right now? Or sometimes that I know, like when I'm going through difficult things, I think about what is it I need? So maybe I can't, I'm not in the mindset, maybe my lizard brain's going, but what is it I need in other areas of my life? that can help me get grounded so that I can go back to this difficult situation. So for instance, Jenna talked about when we're in our lizard brain or, you know, we need sleep. So I know I can go into my lizard brain quite a bit if I'm exhausted. So one of it's a check, do I need more sleep? Another thing that can be really important to me in this other bucket in my life is, am I connecting with people? You know, who are the people that are in my inner circle and really matter to me? Am I connecting? Am I having face to face time? Am I getting the hugs that I need, the physical contact that I need? And paying attention to that. Um, Can me having lighthearted conversations like I did with my neighbor the other day when I saw them outside and we just had a, had a beautiful time just hanging out and talking. So understanding what are the things that you need. Sometimes it can be for me is I need time by myself or I need to go listen to something that can be inspiring, maybe such as the show or listen to, you know, for me, I sometimes go back and I listen to my old shows and I go, wow, I learned so much. So paying attention to what fills you up sometimes. And quite honestly, this isn't something I'm proud of is what show can I just get lost in for a bit and just not worry about the situation that nothing I do right now can do anything. So maybe instead of, you know, one way to help me stop worrying is to distract myself. And for me, it used to be food. And now, you know, I I may do it and distract myself with some um, really good television or a movie or something, but not getting to the point where it it's a continuum. So I want to say this very carefully because people say, well, Corinne just goes and watch TV. So I'm going to go binge, you know, five seasons of Downton Abbey. It's a continuum. What may help a little bit too much can be not healthy for you. Sleep can be a really great way to fill you back up. But if you're sleeping eight to 12 or or 12, you know, hours a day, not eight, you over time, are you rooted really in a place of something that's, you know, you're hiding from? versus where it's nourishing you and paying attention to where on that continuum it is. 
it's not a pinpoint absolute, just like growth and fixed mindset aren't pinpoints. It's part of a continuum and it's where are you sliding over? There are times that I can notice, wow, I'm being really fixed. And how do I, how do I move over maybe, you know, a, a couple steps or five steps down the path so that I'm more growth mindset? So when really about staying with your journey when it's difficult and we didn't talk about when it's time to leave and maybe that will be something that Jen and I'll talk about in a future show if you are all interested. But I, you know, one of the things that I'm really passionate about, especially like in the sport of swimming is I'll hear parents or kids say I'm burned out, right? Because what's really happening is there's a difficult situation that's going on. And instead of realizing it's difficult and they think it's defining. And they're thinking that moment is defining them. And I can do the same thing in my own life. And so for me, it's like, how about let's move through this? Let's overcome this. And then if you've overcome this fear and you've been able to move through it, what's really, is this, is this something that you really want to quit? And so basically, I think what I'm saying <laughs> is get yourself grounded before and to help you stay through something. And before you quit, get yourself grounded. That way you're not in your lizard brain quitting and, you know, fighting, fleeing or, or freezing, right? And usually when we quit, we're fleeing and I can do quit just like anybody else, but get yourself grounded so that you can use your, all of your mindset, listen to your body and really see, okay, does this still serve me? And remembering there's this common humanity piece. And Jen said this, we all go through difficult times. You're not the only one. So when we can ask ourselves, okay, why not me? Why not me of having this time instead of, oh, why me? I mean, that's like my favorite go-to. Oh, why is this happening to me? Poor me. It must be because I'm a loser from Loser Street. And really, it's just about me and my journey and my life and what can I learn through it. And I do know and that the things that I have gone through that have been so difficult that I didn't allow to define me. And when I came out the other side, they gave me resilience. They gave me strength. They actually taught me hope. So that is one of the perks, the side benefits of going through difficult times. Not that we want to invite them or have them, right? And I know, just like I said um, in the last part of the conversation with Jen, sometimes we like to hang out in that neighborhood of difficult because, you know, who the hell am I to sit here and say, oh, my husband's wonderful. My kids are so amazing. I come home and they clean up after themselves and we just have this ease and flow in our life. I mean, most people would be like, oh, let me shoot you. That's so wonderful. So sometimes it's easier to just be like, oh yeah, see, I'm, I'm like you. I have difficult times. But it goes back to that continuum again. We're on the continuum or like I talk with a lot of my clients, what neighborhood do you want to live in? in your life. I don't want to live in the land of difficulty. I used to live there. I had that campfire. I had those people and I would invite over and over and over to go sit in that campfire and it was draining. And so let, moving through that and accepting, okay, this is difficult. And then how can I move through it? What can I learn from this? And really going into that growth mindset so that I can really flourish in life. So I invite you to you know, think about what nuggets from the show today that you can take. And remember, it's not a blueprint. So if that's the one nugget that you take is that there's no blueprint, there's no five steps, there's many, many tools out there and what works best for you in your life right now. And as you grow and adapt, these things are going to adapt too. And that's okay. There's not a wrong way to do this. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. 
I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you, so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so.